Yeah, cussing is welcome. Uh, maybe not encouraged, but just welcome. <laughs> All right. Hello and welcome, FC Dallas Curious fan, to Third Degree, the podcast. We're continuing our uh, journey through the history of FC Dallas today. This should be episode 58, unless I've lost count. Uh, and today we're going to talk about uh, FC Dallas from 2005 to 2009, the early days of the rebrand. Joining me to talk over this section of FC Dallas history is none other than FC Dallas's former beat writer, Tobias Lopez, who was with the Star-Telegram for a long period of time, uh, after which time he went to law school, went into private practice, became GM of the Fort Worth Vaqueros, which we'll perhaps talk about on some other podcast someday. Uh, but um, primarily, he's here as a former beat writer and a person who covered day-to-day FC Dallas. Tilo, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Thank you, my friend, Buzz. Always good to talk to you. We go way back covering this team uh, from the Cotton Bowl days all the way to this period is a good period, really, for me to talk about, I feel like. And I'm glad you asked me to talk about this particular segment because I feel like this is where I was really coming into my own as a writer. I'd had the experience now, the maturity to really understand how to get things out of sources and cover the game. And I think this is a really good period for me as a writer, as far as really coming to my own and maturing, you know, some of my early stuff was pretty awful. I was (laughs) trying to be, well, I was trying to be edgy, you know, it was the nineties and you had to be edgy. And, and, you know, as I got older, I I became a better writer when I was like, okay, this is, you don't have to be that nineties extreme sports edgy guy. Right. Yeah. how long were you with the Star Telegram? Uh, Star Telegram started in '98, and was there until 2011 when I left to go to law school after the bottom basically fell out of the newspaper industry. Right. That's a pretty good run. Eleven. It was a good run. Yeah. yeah. Twelve years there. A couple years before that with the Dallas Morning News, and then you know journalism school at UT Arlington. Oh, that's right. Local boy, go Mavs. Well, sort of local, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, so 2005, of course, is the year of the rebrand. And so before we get into the season, uh, we talked about it with Dustin at the end of the last episode. I let him give his take. So what was your take on the rebrand? Was it necessary? Did you like it? Uh, was it good execution, poor execution? What were your thoughts on the rebrand? Yeah, no, I, I hated it, actually. <laughs> no? Uh, it, it's funny because I hated Dallas Burn, but by that time I'd gotten accustomed to it. And so it was like, okay, we're here. You know, I was one who originally hated pretty much all the original names. Yeah, well, I can't you know, blame you for Mutiny, that. And everybody <laughs> hated them, the Wiz, yeah. the Mutiny. And I hated the Burn, although I had come to come to accept it, you know. And so once you're at that point, it made sense if you were going to rebrand to do it then with the stadium opening, you know, and, and all the surroundings that go on there, moving to Frisco. All that made sense as far as the timing, and uh, I liked the fact that they incorporated the horizontal stripes. I'm not going to use that other word because no, I got you and I, you and I go back. <laughs> I hate you for doing that, but uh, I hate that term. But but the it term was is a great not my look. fault. The term is your fault. The term <laughs> is your fault. 
but the jerseys were your fault. So that was a good fault. Yeah. So yeah. to your credit, you came up with a great uh, design. Unfortunately, there was that terrible, terrible nickname that has since gone away, thankfully. Do you remember the, when uh, Kelly Weller came to us and asked us to quit using the term hoops? Uh, you know what? I, I never used it, so it didn't bother <laughs> me. I never used that term other than to make fun of it because um, I hated it. So it didn't bother me at all when they said don't use it because it was nothing new for me. Uh, but, yeah, it was – I just didn't like it, and you know, look, I, the whole naming FC Dallas—it's it's terrible. It's so cliche. It's so Euro poser. It's so wannabe. It so lacks any kind of character or any meaning. Yeah. So if you were gonna rebrand, this was the time to do it and give you that good name. So yeah, no, I I hated the FC Dallas. I just thought it was. It was trite and lacked originality and imagination, and it was a real missed opportunity for me. So, long story short, they needed a rebrand, but they blew the rebrand. Well, if you were going to rebrand, do <laughs> yeah. it now. I, I was, I'd become accustomed to burn, you know, just yeah. in a aw shucks kind of way. All right, it's <laughs> now that you've established a brand, why not just stick with it, you know? Yeah. But if you are going to rebrand, at least do it right. And, yeah. and they, they failed in two places of, okay, we're going to rebrand. We're going to change this history, which we don't really need to do. But at least if we're going to do it, let's do it right. And, and they, they didn't do that. So. All right. So 2005, 2009 is we're going to talk about. And we're going to start with 2005, which is Colin Clark uh, is still in charge coming off of his um, attempt to sort of rebuild in 2004. 2005, he continues the makeover. Uh, FC Dallas is playing at the Cotton Bowl to start that season, but Drew Morris drafted. They sign Roberto Mina. They add Carlos Ruiz. Clarence Goodson becomes the full-time starter. Mark Wilson comes in part through this season. Uh, Ronnie O'Brien is healthy this time. Greg Vanny and Kerry Talley are, are around. Uh, Richard Mulrooney is acquired. Scott Garlick's number one in goal. But I felt in the start of 2005, and I don't know if you felt this way, I felt really positive about all these moves in the spring as I'm, as I'm watching things come together, um, it felt like things were going in the right direction. Yeah, there's no question, man. I thought this was a team that was ready to really make a run at the title. I mean, they had the right mix of guys that were really, you know, aside from Poppy being on his, you know, he's kind of on his last legs at this point, but he's still a valuable member. Everyone else is really right in their peak years for the most part. You know, and then you've got the guys who you need as veterans it, with that veteran experience. Man, I thought they had the right mix all the way uh, to really make a deep run. And, and they had a great year during the regular season and then just, you know, typical FC Dallas flamed out in the playoffs. Well, we'll come back to that playoffs. That's important <laughs> later. What did you think about uh, Simo Valakari? He was, uh, for me, he was a pretty influential player at this time. Yeah, man, I I loved Simo just as a guy. He was, you know, we'd we'd sit there after practices and just just talk for you know thirty forty five minutes just about anything. You know, he was just such a personable guy. You know, he really loved being here in the states, having his family here, um, and he was just no nonsense. You know, Dallas has had a at that point had a great run of that. You know what. He should have been a number 14, right? You're yes, right. Guy, 14. right. Right. He should have worn 14 uh, because he was that 14 that we'd had and uh, we had seen 
and continue to see with guys like him and Rachetti and just all those great number 14s, he just fit that mold of being that no-nonsense workhorse guy, true professional. You know, I really, really enjoyed my time covering him and interacting with him. And, you know, and everyone else on the team enjoyed having him around as well. One of the other interesting things about 2005 was this is the year that uh, Bobby Ryan made his full conversion to right back, which uh, was a little bit sketchy in the early days, I would think it was fair to say. Yeah, no, it's funny that you bring that up because, you know, we, we didn't talk about this conversation before just kind of jumping into it. But as I looked at 2005, that was one of my key points for FC Dallas fans. If you're a fan of this team and you appreciate history, you have to appreciate, first off, Bobby Ryan for everything he means to this club of course you know the great guy that he was but this was a key moment because you know the year before you had a lot of glut at forward and it was just okay what is this guy gonna do to continue to be relevant to be a part of the team and he made a move that a lot of guys frankly won't do you know and i've never understood that of okay i can prolong my career or I can be selfish and stubborn and demand I'm only going to play this position. And I've never understood that in any sport, um, you know, guys who aren't willing to make that transition. But, of course, Bobby Ryan was going to make that transition. You talk about a, a team guy, a good guy. You know, I think one of our favorite Bobby Ryan things uh, when we talk about that guy was whenever we would, they would do the uh, the drills where, they'd have about six stations set up and each person would get points for how well they did in the individual drills. You remember what I'm talking about? I do remember. Yeah. 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 And it was always a fight between you and I as to who was going to get, we would bet (laughs) on who was going to win. And you would, I would always want, everyone would always want to pick Bobby Ryan because he just excelled in practice. He gave it his all. He excelled in those types of settings. And, uh, you know, he was also a guy who wasn't afraid to go at somebody as far as a leadership role, he was such a good guy, but you know, he wasn't afraid to tell somebody they were a jackass, uh, which, no, that's true. you know, I'm yeah. not going to name the people who he <laughs> told that they were jackasses, but you and I can remember more yeah. than once him getting on a few of the younger players and kind of putting them in line yeah. in, in, a, in a productive way, in, in a leadership way, but, but in a stern way, you know, he could be stern when he had to, you know, like any father, right? Uh, so, yeah, this was a really unique time. And, yeah, it took him a little while to adjust. But once he did, you know, he was he was an effective player out there. Indeed. Perhaps the best player uh, in 2005 was Ronnie O'Brien, who was not only FCD's MVP with the six goals and 12 assists, but an MLS All-Star, MLS Best 11. Now, is he the best pure wide mid and crosser in franchise history? Is that a fair assessment? I I would say so. I can't think of anybody better. This is story time with Buzz and Tobias. So right. so let, let's talk about the first time we ever saw him come in. And and I don't know if you remember this or not. I do. Go ahead. But we would see, you know, we'd see so many guys come in and oh, this guy's coming in, this guy's coming in, and we'd watch him. We'd be like, oh god, this guy's got no chance. And and after the end of one training session, the coaches have to tell the guys. You're done, kid, right? Yeah. Go somewhere else. This ain't your level. I remember that kid walked home that one time. (laughs) Yeah. You remember the kid that came that didn't even have shoes? I I do. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, But we're sitting there watching, and Ronnie hits this banger. It must have been 35 yards out, probably. For sure. 
a frozen rope all the way upper 90, just cracks it. And he turns to both of us and looks at us and says, those don't come back. Or he says, they don't come back. They don't come that. back. Yeah. And we're like, what? They don't come back? He says, they don't come back. You got to go fish that ball out the net. <laughs> and it was like so funny. And it yeah. just showed that, that uh, you know, that Irish uh, personality. And uh, we knew, we both looked at each other at that moment and said, okay, this guy is a yep. next level guy. Yeah. And this is that, this is, you know, two, three years later after that initial tryout that we saw him compete in, and he's really, he's back healthy, he's coming to his own, he's just getting at people. And that was something that FC Dallas and just MLS as a whole didn't have much of at that time, of a guy who's just like, I'm going to go at you, I'm coming at you, I'm not doing the, you know, what I'm supposed to do here. I'm not following the formula or the format of now I'm supposed to make this pass. Now I'm supposed to run to this position. Now I'm supposed to overlap. He would just go at guys, man. And it was so much fun to watch. You know, he was so enthusiastic. You know, so maybe too enthusiastic for some people's taste <laughs> as far as personality goes. But he and guy. I got along great. Oh, he and yeah. I had a great yeah. relationship. He's another guy where we would just talk and laugh for hours and uh man this was for sure his best year and and just a joy I, you know if you're an fc dallas again if you claim to be a supporter of this club a fan and especially if you're new in the past you know decade or so go back and watch some of those where he's just going after people and it was really really a treat to watch I remember one time I wrote that he had played badly and the next day he's like dude why'd you say I played badly and I was like well didn't you play badly? He was like, "Oh well, yeah, but you didn't have to say it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Like I wasn't gonna write the truth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, All right. Sure. Anyway, 2005, the team starts hot. They are 10-2 and three through June. Clark is the all-star game coach. Ruiz, Eddie Johnson, Simo Valakari, Greg Vanny, and Ronnie O'Brien are all all-stars. But in the back half of this season. From July on, basically, the team goes 3-8-6, and six, including losing 7-9 of nine at one point in July through September. Um, this is shortly after the team had moved to Frisco, and they moved into Pizza Hut Park at the time. Uh, but that downward trend actually started about a month before that in July. Um, perhaps it's the heat, but uh, you may remember at that time, Tobias, that Richard Mulrooney tore his ACL in mid-May. So not just heat aside, for me, I think the loss of Richard Mulroney in the middle of that season put a big kink into what this team was doing. Oh, there's no question. You know, God, I keep talking about how great all these guys were. I know, right? I sound like some dorky fanboy or something, <laughs> which I clearly wasn't because I made a lot of enemies there. But uh, but Mulroney was, you know, he was, again, he was so soft-spoken, so just, I'm out here to do a job and get it done. He smiled a lot, but he didn't, you know, he wasn't a, right. an outgoing personality like Ronnie, you know, but he was just that that presence, that box-to-box midfielder that could just, you know, so rare to see guys who could do the things that he did. And, you know, it's what was getting him, you know, fringe call-ups here and there. You know, I don't think he was ever given the opportunity that he should have been with the national team. But, yeah, that, that really, there's no question that that's what, kind of started the skin for them was losing his his presence there in the middle and i think he comes back the next year wasn't he comeback player of the year next year he was but we'll get into yeah. that when we get yeah that not to jump ahead but yeah. it, it shows how how much of an impact he he had on the team both when he was there and when he was gone so yeah i, I don't think there's any doubt 
that's what uh, that's what starts the the skid. All right, let's talk about Pizza Hut Park. Uh, I remember being around the franchise then that there was so much anticipation, so much excitement. And then when the thing opened, so much joy to have their own facility. I'm talking like staff, front office, players, the whole organization. What were your sort of uh, takes as that place opened up? And do you remember the level of anticipation and excitement around the team? Yeah, no, that was a that was a fun time to be covering the team, man, because it was exciting. You know, for those of us, while I'm not a fan of FC Dallas, I'm a fan of soccer. You know, I grew up playing soccer since I was four year old, like the rest of us. So I was glad to see the league and soccer getting these milestone uh, events like these new stadiums like Pizza Hut Park. Um and so it was it was a fun time to be around the club. Everybody was optimistic, everybody's happy. Hey, this you you can't forget this was just after contraction and just after FC Dallas was you know one of the teams that looked at that you know, hey, maybe they're a team we cut, right? So this is just after the time where it was like, uh, oh, this league ain't gonna make it, man. And then for them right. to get the second, you know, facility and for this to have such a commitment from Collin County, the city, the school district, to you know put up real money, real money for a soccer stadium at that time was unheard of. So it was really exciting, and you got to give the Hunts and and even John Wagner, the guys who put that deal together, you got to give them a lot of credit in making that happen at a time when it it was so much different from now, where you've got cities bidding for MLS teams. Nobody was spending money for that. And I, so I remember between McKinney and Frisco, uh, you doing a whole lot of work with the Open Records Act, digging out uh, stuff on all the deals as they were coming together and, and falling apart. And, and I think for a lot of people don't know that none of this information would be available and known if it had been for the work you were doing. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, um, I was kind of the only guy really digging in to you know, city council meetings and, and open records and finding out what exactly was going on. And I've still got in the storage facility somewhere just stacks of, uh, you know, just uh, what do they call it, proposal, economic development proposals and insights and what's this going to do and is this a good investment. And even going back to McKinney where it didn't happen. And that was really, you know, unnerving at that time because once McKinney – pulled the plug then it was kind of like oh man maybe this ain't gonna get done but fortunately for you know soccer in north texas frisco very quickly you know stepped up and said no we're gonna take this and at that time they were very and they, they still are very proactive about getting businesses in there getting that you know revenue from these big corporations that are moving in there and that are still moving in there uh you know 15 years later so credit to Frisco for being, you know, big picture thinking, you know, they got what they needed as far as the high school facility. So it made sense for them because they do have some, you know, something to show for it. And all those fields out there that are just, you know, it's great to see 16, 17, 18 fields right next to the facility. It, it adds so much to the presence of walking up on game day. You see all the fields around you. It feels like a a soccer environment so it, it was a lot of it really was a, an interesting time a fun time to cover the team back then uh everything was positive it kept them 
from disappearing, you know, quite frankly. Oh, that those boxes of documents sound like a great uh, long form third degree article <laughs> in Ant Edge Nudge. Yeah, maybe I have to dig those out. We'll, we'll just maybe we just publish them. You know, yeah. just let, let let the people sort through. Chips fall where they may, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, All right, but, on the field uh, in the second half of the season, we talked about the fade, the collapse that the team had, relatively speaking. But um, they did go on a tear in the Open Cup. I don't know if you remember, they built the, beat the Wilmington Hammerheads, then the Crew, DC United, and the Chicago Fire all the way to the final. Unfortunately, this was the era, Tobias, and I'm sure you remember this, where you could basically buy quote unquote uh, U.S. Open Cup games by bidding for the for the, to be the host, and so um, LA Galaxy frequently did that back in the day and used that to their advantage. And, and Dallas had to go out to the Home Depot Center and um, unfortunately lost one nothing with on a Hercules Gomez goal. Um, I just remember that being a difficult, difficult circumstance for Dallas when they really had no chance because they didn't have the financial backing to pull off the home game. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and, you know, I'm such a big fan of the Open Cup. Fortunately, I've got to be involved with it as a, as an executive, but we'll we'll talk about that some other day. Yes, but I, I love the Open Cup. I enjoy that more than more than actually the MLS season or any of the other seasons. I just love the the the, the nostalgia, the the romance of the Open Cup, and I'm glad to see they've gotten away from that model, where basically, yes, the Galaxy was, and credit to the Galaxy. I mean, look. They put a premium on it and said, this is important to us. We want this. So, you know, uh, you can look at it in a negative standpoint, but I, I look at it as, look, they were committed to it. They said, we want it. This matters. This is important. And if you're going to have this system where you rely on bids to determine the thing, why not bid for it? So I, I don't see it as necessarily a negative. It's, it's strange but credit them for putting a premium on it and say the Open Cup matters because it should matter. It should matter uh, to any club at any level. Yeah, I give the Hunts uh, now, and it's hard to say exactly when this started, but they absolutely put a premium on the Open Cup now. Um, and they certainly didn't, and sometimes in this early era uh, of play. Yeah, well, obviously... Um, you know, the cup namesake probably forces them into that. <laughs> Makes it a big difference, but, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I'm i one of these guys, and, and I think I was always fair, and I think I did a very good job of being neutral and unbiased in when I was covering this team and, and calling things out. And we'll get into it to Nielsen at some point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and some of the other things were I made some enemies from calling people out about things, but I was doing my job as you were supposed to as a reporter. But one of the things I think, when you talk about the Hunt family, that people have to be fair to them is you do not get to call them cheap. You just don't. Because the amount of millions and millions and millions that that family has spent on soccer in this country that they will never recoup is beyond anyone else's doing. And so I think it's very unfair for a fan base to just say, oh, they're just cheap, okay? Now, I understand there's ways they could do things differently and, and you know, every fan base wants to, their team to spend everything it takes to win and win and win and win. But you've also got to be intelligent in your decision-making as an organization. And you can't just spend out money, 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 money when you're not getting the same return. In it. And so I think to be fair to them, I, I hate when I hear that criticism of them, those they're cheap, because they're not. They've spent 
millions and millions and millions on this game. And so I think it's, uh, you know, I just think it's disrespectful to their commitment. Now, they do some things that I would like to see done differently in other areas, but I don't think criticizing them about money is a fair criticism. Yeah, we always say it's not that they don't spend money. It's that they just spend money differently than you or I or whatever fan would spend it, which is their prerogative. It's their money and their team. Right. All right. So FCD closes out 2005 on a 3-1 and 3 run, which is a little bit better recovery than they had been doing over the course of the back end of the summer and the fall. They lose only one game in their last seven to finish second in the West, which is unbelievable given the the tail off that they had. That's how good a start they had. Unfortunately, once again, they get into the playoffs and you face their nemesis, the Colorado Rapids. And Dallas gets knocked out in two games after tying 0-0 in Denver and then tying 2-2 in Dallas. Uh, and then, of course, the Rapids, as they always do, win the shootout 5-4 when Roberto Mina missed the fifth PK. Let me ask you this. Why is it that Colorado is not more hated by FC Dallas fans given the amount of pain that the Colorado causes year after year after year in the playoffs to this team? Yeah, it, 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 they should be – look, there should be three people that, that Dallas hates. They should hate Chicago, they should hate Houston, and they should hate Colorado. Those should be those teams that right. you just just have total animosity against, and maybe it's because it's hard to hate somebody when all they do is beat you in the playoffs. I guess it's like, oh, geez. Uh, well, I figure I don't it helps hate Colorado, them. I just so Colorado stinks so much in the regular season usually, but in the playoffs they just kill Dallas right, every time. Yeah, and in that year, I don't think Dallas did. I don't think they lost to him at all during the regular season, if I remember right. I think. They, let me look at it here. Tie. Win, win, tie. Yeah, so they were 2-0-2 against Colorado in the regular season that year. So everybody thought going into all right, well, Dallas, is, Dallas has got their number, and, and it just didn't play out that way. Not in the playoffs, they don't. Yeah, no, <laughs> they, for sure. They never do. All right, so that puts 2005 in the books, and we move on to 2006. And this is when it's to come together for Colin Clark's team. All the pieces are in place. He adds Dax McCarty and Dom Oduro in the draft, both of whom become bigger later, but do have impact right out of the gate. Carlos Ruiz is on fire. 2005 and 06 really are Ruiz's peak with FC Dallas. Nunez has a good year. Drew Moore becomes the full-time starter. Bobby Ryan is now entrenched a year at right back. Um, Dario Sala takes over full-time in net. Ronnie O'Brien has another best 11 season. But probably, again, we talked about this when we talked about 05, Richard Marooney comes back, and this is the biggest addition um, of his recovery. Um, just by getting him healthy, that made such a difference, and we'll, and we'll hit him again in a minute. But the biggest addition of the year, probably by more than a mile, uh, is Kenny Cooper. That guy came in and did things uh, that we didn't expect and, and really was uh, probably off the radar of most fans. I mean, the people knew the name, I would think, and they knew his dad a little bit. You know, if you were really hardcore, but like, I don't think anyone expected or knew that he was going to be as impactful as he was. Yeah, I mean, you had to really be keyed into the local soccer scene to know who he was. And, and there's a big difference between, you know, I was clued in because I was covering all levels of soccer at that point. So I knew of, knew of him and I had seen him as, you know, at, at Jesuit and, and in the club tournaments that I would cover back then. Because back then we were covering everything soccer. It was a great time to be a soccer guy for the Star-Telegram because we were covering everything. And that was before the recession where we had so many staff members that, you know, I was able to pretty much be exclusive to soccer. Um, and so I, I knew about him 
and people in the area knew about him, but that was a small group of people. Certainly people on the national MLS stage didn't know who he was. Uh, and people don't remember outside of Dallas, Kenny Cooper Sr. from the uh, tornado days. Uh, but those of us who grew up in the, in Texas knew of all those guys still. But, you know, he came back from England and he he was so big, so strong. Yeah. He was ready to run it, guys. You know, I think we had this conversation so many times of U.S. soccer wanted Kenny Cooper to be a back-to-goal Brian McBride. They Every coach ever another. has. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they Everybody wanted him to be Brian McBride, and he was not raised to play soccer that way. His dad, I don't know how many times we sat in the in – the, uh, what is the little pub in the floor level? I don't know what they even call it. Uh, Champions Club or what? I know what you mean what right it, there. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. After every game, you know, the story's posted up. I roll through the club to leave, and Kenny and, the, you know, all this staff and everybody's still down there drinking beers. And, you know, he talked about how Kenny, his son, grew up playing as we're going to go at people, we're going to play the game, we're going to yeah. pass the ball. You know, he was a big play-the-beautiful-game guy. And yet, unfortunately, Kenny Jr.'s physique made every coach want him to be a just a monster tower, you know, let's ping it and play it off of him. When that was not, it may have been in his physical nature, but it wasn't in his spiritual, soccer spiritual nature. <laughs> well, thankfully for Kenny that year, Carlos Ruiz was a pure nine center channel, not going to vacate the center channel ever kind of player and he has he had 13 goals and five assists kenny had uh 11 goals and four assists so those guys were clicking together and i just remember uh, about carlos Ruiz. the thing i remember more than anything is how he just drove people absolutely nuts to play against that guy was just so annoying oh yeah i mean people hated him if, if he's the guy that if he's not on your team everybody hates him right if he's on your team you love him and everybody else in the league just hated him he was so persistent so pesky so you know always scrapping always diving always mouthing i mean he was just that guy who just drove people crazy but he produced and when you produce, you can be that guy, right? Yeah, that's the difference, right? You yeah. got to produce. If you can, you can be that guy as long as you're producing. Uh, and he was producing at that time, so it was, uh, you know, it was. You, uh, you mentioned that he was just in that center chair. Did he ever run much out of that anywhere he played? I, I don't think so. I think <laughs> I he think, just camped and put a tent up. Away. Yeah, <laughs> built himself a porch, and just sat there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was a unique dynamic in that, you know, you see Kenny making runs off of Carlos, and he was getting out wide. You know, he'd love to get out wide off of, as Carlos was, as you say, setting up a tent, right. building a porch, sitting yeah. on the patio, grilling out. Playing uh, the garden. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it, that was a fun tandem to watch. It was. Now, uh, that season, Ruiz and Cooper were all-stars. So was Ronnie and Brian, as I mentioned, had a best 11 season. We talked about him in the context of last year. Uh, but you can't undervaluate Richard Marooney, who was also an all-star and MLS Comeback Player of the Year. He had a, a nine assists that year. Uh, for me, Mulrooney is the most, one of the most, if not the most underrated player in club history. I'd, I'd have to agree with you there, man. He was, God, he was so special there. And people just don't appreciate. And, and here's what you most soccer fans don't see is that 
that holding midfield, that whatever you want to call it, that center of the park play. Most fans can see a guy who runs real fast, even if your kid grew up playing soccer, even if you're a soccer fan. But most people can't grasp the subtlety of the midfield triangles and really appreciate that guy that fills that role. And Mulrooney was that that player who just filled that role in there that you've really got to have a subtle appreciation for the game and for tactics, you know, be more of a coach than a fan to appreciate what all he did there. And I think maybe that's why he is underrated and undervalued in, in this club's history was because he did that just uh, that linking and that box-to-box running. And, he, you know, he didn't score a lot of goals out of that spot. But, man, he was he was the linchpin of, of what was a really good team. He was. Well, there's not a great cup run in 06. Uh, the FC Dallas beat Charleston Battery at Blackwood Stadium, by the way, one of the great venues in the early days of soccer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they got blown out by Houston. This is what I was talking about. My, you know, this era, they didn't, they weren't putting a lot of um, emphasis on the cup. I remember those the cup lineups just being – Oh, just mix mash and just not a high priority under Colin at this time. No, yeah, yeah, no, he was just, we've got to play this game, so this is a chance. And, and this was a chance to get guys minutes who weren't getting it anywhere else. Yeah. All right, so FCD, though, this is arguably 2006 is one of the best seasons in club history, frankly. Um, this is the wire-to-wire first-place season, or if it wasn't wire-to-wire, it may have been one weekend they were not in first place after the results, but it was pretty much wire-to-wire. Um, there are some late season struggles a little bit. They only go four, seven and one from August on. Uh, and you start to get a little concerned, like when you lose the last game of the season five to two. So I had forgotten that there was a small postseason fade, but for all in all though, 2006 was a great season to be around this team because they were just going gangbusters the whole regular season. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we've talked about all the personnel and that, and that's what makes a team, right? That front six, uh, was just, I mean, as good as any per- front six in the league, man. They, those guys were all so talented, and they all fit. They all fit the roles really well, you know, and, that, and that's the difference. Sometimes you see guys that are, well, he's playing out of his natural spot. We're just kind of filling in. We're, we're just kind of, you know, tinkering with a guy here. We just don't have the right guy for this system. But they all really fit the roles so perfectly that that's what made that, you know, absolutely one of the best teams that this club's ever seen. Yeah, I think there's no question about that. Unfortunately, <laughs> that brings us to the playoffs, <laughs> where <laughs> once again the damn Colorado Rapids are in the way, despite the fact that Dallas is the one seed and Rapids are the four, if I remember correctly. So Dallas wins two to one up in Denver, and so that's great. You're leading the series, and you come back to Dallas, and the Rapids win three to two in Dallas uh, to set up a PK situation again, which Dallas proceeds to lose. And the worst part about this game, if you remember, is that Dario Salo punches a dude in the face and gets a six-game suspension. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> <laughs> that guy was something else, too. Dario, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he was something else. Wasn't he the one, uh, he was the one that was on the field uh, down in South America yeah. somewhere where lightning struck and and killed several players that's on the a, field. Yeah, that's a great Dario yeah. story that he was he was a train at training and, and lightning struck the field and one of his good friends died and several people died, I think. And and uh that the thing I remember about it was in Dallas when those storms would come in and you would hear thunder or lightning in the distance, even in training, 
Dario would make a beeline for the locker room in the middle of training. He didn't care. He's like, I'm out. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah. home. Yeah. And and another thing that that he did because of that that I don't know if there's any science to this. It doesn't seem like it. But he wouldn't wear metal on the field because there was this thought that if lightning struck, the metal would conduct it, and that's what had killed the players. <laughs> okay. They were wearing metals. That doesn't <laughs> seem like science to me. Yeah. I'm thinking that's probably not science to it. But it goes to how he was really touched yeah. and, and emotionally uh, affected by that uh, experience that they wouldn't wear metal on the field. Uh, you know, they'd take their crosses off and their wedding rings off uh, because of that incident. I don't know if you remember this about this the series against the Rapids, that after winning game one, the game two actually finished tied. And for some reason, though, there had to be a result because the Rapids scored in overtime to win that second game to then force PKs to decide the series. There was some, some real absurdities about the playoffs at this time. And it should leave it to, of course, some dumbass rule. I mean, like if you win game one and tie game two, shouldn't you advance? No, Rapids score in overtime, go to PKs and get, and they eliminate Dallas, the damn Rapids and the damn rules. This franchise just can't <laughs> catch a break. Yeah, fortunately, this is what do we call it? This is MLS 2.0 at this point. Oh man, it might be three. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. like that. But but the current state of is is they figured it out finally. You know, I remember the old running shootouts from the first game. Oh gets my gosh! Yeah, ninety six. So I mean, at least they were progressing the past down. that. Yeah, right, yeah. Well, so at least at this point they're progressing, but they still haven't figured it out yet. No. I I would say that even now the playoffs haven't been figured out, you know, today, this day and age in 2020, we still haven't figured out the playoffs. All right. So unfortunately the, the Rapids knocked Dallas out again and the hunts make, which for me is one of the worst decisions in club history. Then they fire Colin Clark. So what's your wrap up take on Colin Clark and his tenure as an FC Dallas coach? Um, you know, I liked Colin. He and I got at odds a lot um, for a lot of different reasons, but I actually liked him. And um, I think that the back-to-back losses in the playoffs to Colorado was just too much for management to take, uh, especially that 06 team. I mean, there was so much talent. So there. good, yeah. There was so much talent there. And this was Colin's real first head coaching job. You know, he came in and he was under Mike. And, you know, at this point he wasn't, he didn't have the proven track record for them to say, oh, well, you know, he'll get through this and, you know, give him the time. The the taste was so bad after 2006 that, you know, he was done for, you know. And, and, you know, probably rightfully so um, in the fact that that team was so talented, they should have done better. You know, I don't think they. You can never say a team has to win at all because there's there's just too many factors in this game. But the team should have done better than a first round exit. I mean, there was just too much talent out there for that. So I think the management was that that was it for him. Um, but I liked him. Uh, we like I said, we had our ups and downs. Uh, the thing I remember about I, Colin is that if you weren't, if one wasn't familiar with the team and asked a question that was like. Uh, what are you doing? He would literally just look at you and be like, 
Who the oh hell? yeah, yeah. He, would, he yeah. would always say, he didn't, "Who the hell are you?" Yeah, he people? didn't <laughs> suffer. He did not suffer fools lightly. No, no, by he did any not. means. Yeah. And, and even you know me being there and you being there all the time, you know, we still got it at odds. But that was just part of his makeup. Yeah. And, and you know, I think I actually had a better relationship with Colin when he was an assistant. We used to talk a lot, um, you know, I, I did a story about him when his first kid was born, you know. Yeah. I'd done a story about him having scored the World Cup when he was still an assistant coach. Because how many guys have done that, you know, that have Not come many. through Dallas? Yeah. Not many that have been through Dallas, for sure. So we actually had a better relationship when he was an assistant. And, and I don't blame him, you know, responsibilities change when you become the head man. And he didn't pressure. have to, yeah, and he didn't have to deal with me in the same way that he had to, and he didn't want some jackass like me who hadn't scored at the World Cup questioning <laughs> his decisions, right? No. That, that was hard for him, you know? That, that's the news. So, You're buried the headline. Tobias, Tobias Lopez has not scored in the World that, Cup. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. <laughs> that's correct. Come nowhere close. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, again uh, you know, I just think that in all that they couldn't, the management was never going to get past that 2006 uh, failure in the postseason. All right. Well, that brings us to 2007 when Steve Morrow was hired. Now, I I have the impression, looking back in time, and, and you may correct me, I'm wrong on this. I feel like the the management, if you will, the front office felt like we just need to tweak this team a little bit. And now hiring an assistant is mo for the hunts. But so they hire the assistant. I think thinking we're just going to make a tiny tweak. But Morrow proceeds to go into like this complete rebuild instead. So I don't think that's quite what they bargained for. And we'll get into all the moves in a second. But just as a general concept, I think that's kind of where something was miscommunicated there. Yeah, I mean, if you look at 06 to 07 and, and the success of that team in 06, it's a, it's a completely different team in 07. Yeah, it is. I mean, I mean it's, it's not, but it is. You know, it's a very different looking team. Yeah, well, so right off the bat, Mulroney is traded to Toronto insanely. He goes on to win his third MLS Cup when he's in Houston a little bit later. Uh, Dax McCarty becomes a full-time starter, which I like. Arturo, uh, excuse me, Arturo Alvarez, I can talk well, is a full-time starter, which is a little surprising. Carlos Reed, unfortunately, starts to fade a little bit. Tyron Marshall breaks Cooper's leg, which isn't really uh, much of a help. And, and for some reason, Morrow doesn't have a lot of faith in Dario Sala. And you end up with more of a sort of committee approach with Sala and uh, and uh, Ray Burse of all people in that quite a bit, um, yeah. and then you start to get some really crazy transfers. Ricardinho comes in, Shaka Hislop comes in, but honestly, we can't talk about two thousand seven without talking about the elephant in the room, the greatest, not to bias you, bust in the history of this franchise, Denielson. <laughs> yeah, what a press conference that was! Oh my gosh, yeah. This was this is one where they hated me. They hated me at this press conference yep. because this was their big. And I don't know if you remember this or not, but this was their big thing. And this was here we go. This is it. We're spending money. People say we don't spend money. We're bringing in World Cup Brazil. Blah blah blah. And my first question was to the guy was, what the hell have you been doing in Saudi Arabia for the last year, <laughs> wherever he was playing, somewhere in the Middle East? Yeah. Because uh, it was like, I-, I see through this. This is, yeah, if you've been in Saudi Arabia or where, whatever league he was in, I don't remember, somewhere in the Middle Eastern leagues. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you remember, this was the... You this... have no business being here. Yeah. 
this was the era when Lamar had recently passed and Clark right. and Dan are basically taking control. And Dan in particular is getting heavily involved in moves. And Danielson was his baby, if you remember. And we probably oh, yeah. should give Steve Morrow a little bit of credit for making sure that it was only a one-year contract. But this was Dan Hunt's moment of glory bringing in Danielson. And I was concerned, but not con- not convinced. I, you at the time, I remember, were like, this is going to be a friggin' disaster. Yeah, yeah. Well, because again, it just—it's common sense, man. And and I get being star starstruck, and we want to boost, and we've got this new stadium, and and all that. But this was not the guy to give you what you were looking for. And and you know, you could just see that from his track record. You could see, you could anybody with a little bit of common sense that was outside the bubble, you know, not in that that room. Where they're all excited, oh, yeah, yeah, this is great, oh, Brazil, oh, National T, oh, World Cup, oh, Danielson, said, yeah, he was on that Nike commercial, right, blah, 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 and you just had to be able to separate yourself, and that was one thing that I felt I was pretty good at as a journalist, was separating myself and looking at this organization and saying, okay, I'm going to look at all this stuff objectively as a journalist and not as a fan and not as a mouthpiece for the club and just say, look... This looks like a really bad move to me. And uh, I think it was one of the few times I turned out to be right about something. Yeah. Well, you're right more often than not. But you, this is what I mean about it being a complete rebuild, right? As we mentioned, Ricardinho, Hislop, the Nielsen, Mulrooney's traded, Alvarez is in, uh, Cooper, of course, gets his leg broken. I mentioned that. Um, but not all the moves are bad, though. One positive for sure was... Uh, Juan Toha, who was signed off of his preseason trial and was the club's only franchise that year. He was an impactful player day to day. Well, and that that's what's shameful about this is had you given spread that money out that you paid for Danielson over five years, you'd have been able to keep Toha. Put mm-hmm. that invest that money that you spent on Danielson in a five year deal for Toha and you'd have had a, a, a centerpiece for that team for a five, six year run. Uh, and you'd have been able to keep Toha instead of him going to, was it Romania, I think? or uh, Yeah, for, Bulgaria for or something, and, Turkey, yeah, I don't remember what country yeah, it was. <laughs> so, yeah, and it doesn't matter because it wasn't a league that was any better than, than your league at the time, but they offered him the money. And had you channeled that money towards Toha after you saw what he could do that first year, if you don't have Danielson laying around, you look at it and say, man, we need to lock this kid in before some Romania, Bulgaria team comes in and swoops him up for a better uh, deal. Stal, Stal Bucharest, Romanian. Okay, yeah, it was Romanian. Huh? Could Google. Could Google. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Google's, Google's your friend. Yeah. So that's that's really, I think, the shame of going for the flash of Danielson rather than what you yeah. find out by the end of this year, what you had in Toha. And people loved him. And, they, you know, you remember... Uh, give them credit. They did the Toha Wig Night. Wig Night, right. That thing was huge. Yeah, that was, was such yeah. a huge mm-hmm. promotion. I mean, that got you played nationally. Uh, and it, it was all over the local TV. It was national TV. It was a personality. It was it was a fun promotion for the fans. It was fun for him. He really enjoyed it. And I don't know if that was this year or the next year that they did it. But it just speaks to what you had, the asset right. that you had in Juan Toha. That, that didn't stay around for the long term. Well, there was a few other moves that year that were positive. Uh, give me your take on some of these guys. Marcelo Saragossa, Pablo Rochetti, and Adrian Sirio are all pretty solid pickups. 
Yeah, I think of the three, Rochetti's the one of note. Um, Saragossa was that good grinder. You always need those those grinders. You need a grinder for uh, sure. He was a veteran, you know, so he had the right attitude in training. He, he filled that role of the grinder. You know, you can't have nothing. You can't have a fantasy team. You've got to have those grinders. And Saragossa was a good at that. Rochetti, again, kind of filled that that uh, holding center role, doing all the grunt work in the midfield as well. And he was talented at linking up. And, um, you know, I, I liked him. He was a good character guy. I got on pretty well with him, actually. Well, he was effectively uh, a Seema Valakari's replacement. Yeah, uh, and you talk about those those guys that have played that role, those Seemas, those Basically, they should have all been wearing number 14, right? Yeah, but they the should. Seemas, the Seemas, mm-hmm. the Rochettes, all those guys in that role that were really, you know, so low-key personalities and just went about the work, were real professionals, had the seasoning from Europe. He was another one of those guys that had professional seasoning that really helped out uh, on this team. So those guys you mentioned, he's the one for me that stands out as this was a really good acquisition. Yeah, you can't blame them for not giving uh, some of those guys the 14 because Drew Moore had the 14 at that time, which is uh, the next guy in that legacy of that number. For sure. For sure. All right. So 2007 is a pretty busy year. Uh, FC Dallas makes a cup run all the way to the final. Uh, And actually, this is the year when uh, the club started to put more emphasis on the cup. So they get to host the final because they're going against the Revolution, who never bid for anything in the Open Cup. Um, But unfortunately, they lose the final in Frisco. Honestly, that was kind of a pretty big gut punch uh, around the organization when you lose on your home ground like that. Yeah, that that was one they... They wanted, <laughs> they, you know, you can't say they weren't fully invested in that game. And um, that was Taylor Twelman being a pain in the butt, if I remember right, in 2007. That sounds right. That sounds right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of where you see things. I mean, I don't know if that, that's the seminal moment, as they say, but, but it certainly was one of the negative check marks for that year. Yeah, it was part of that. The, that put a bad taste in the mouth for the back end of that season, for sure. I don't know if you also remember 2007 is the year of Superliga, which is another bizarre uh, entry in franchise lore. The FC Dallas ties Chivas, and I don't mean Chivas USA, I mean the real Chivas, uh, and they tie Pachuca. These games were all in Frisco for some reason. Uh, but the crazy, crazy, crazy game of that Superliga was the 6-5 to five game against the LA Galaxy with the famous Landon Donovan throat <laughs> slash when he scored the winner, or, yeah. or one of the late goals anyway, right into the fan base. Uh, it's just, a, just one of the most insane games I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that's funny. Gosh, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought about that game had you not brought it up. But now you bring it up, this this is good. <laughs> that comes back to mind. Yeah, as boy, what a what a wasn't the weather pretty awful in that game too? Do I remember the weather being bad? I, I don't remember that level of detail. I just came across the box score and was like, I remember the insanity yeah. of it, and I remember landing. You know, when they running, whipping his shirt off and running to the stands and going, uh, throat slash. And, yeah. then, and Mr. Nice Guy, Landon Donovan, of all people, being yeah, the, that was the an assassin insane that day. game. That's a game we need to find and go back and watch, man. Dude, Mystery yeah. Science Theater on that thing. It was, it, I did not have it on my list of 10 games that they should re air, but maybe it should have been because uh, it was just a crazy, crazy yeah. night. Probably the only good thing to come out of the, even though FC Dallas lost. 
that still is a high water moment for me in terms of Super League. I mean, the rest of it I don't care about, but that game was just nuts. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Right, the other oddity of 2007 we can't skip over is that this is the year that Ricardo Clark kicked Carlos Ruiz in the face down in Houston. Yeah, that was that was nasty. Although I still think he didn't get him in the face. I think he hits him in the shoulder. But regardless, that was just such garbage, man, on any level. You've got to be able to keep your composure as a professional. And I really admired Ricardo Clark's skill as a player. Yeah. But that there's just no – I mean, you could have really – I mean, he could have done – permanent long-standing yeah. damage to race yeah. had he had he connected in the face and you could tell he didn't connect him in the face because Ruiz is able to get up and shake it off and had he the way he pulls back and just unleashes on him had he oh, kicked yeah. him in the face they're carrying him off in the stretcher and now it wasn't like and, and it could have ended the career it wasn't just like he was in playing and Ruiz fell down and oh I kicked the ball and I happened to kick his face it was like the play was dead yeah no and no Ru- was... Clark lines him up and just crushes the guy in the in the upper whatever upper shoulder yeah. head whatever it is full-on intent yeah no it was a full-on and dirty intentional play is Probably in the league's history. I mean, I, you'd you'd be hard pressed. There's, I'm sure there's three or four others in there, but it, it was one of the nastiest. Just lack of composure, lack of respect for the opponent, for the game uh, plays that I've ever seen. And, and again, I hate that because I really liked Ricardo Clark and what his skill set yeah. was. But there, there was just no use for it. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about yes, Ruiz is a pain in the bat ass. He's pesky's all those little you know getting in your here, the little jabs and the little poking the ribs and all that. But regardless, you know his game at that point. And I think part of it was the fact that Dallas had just gone up three zero at that time, so the frustration setting in in that game, and. You know, a young player just loses his cool, but but even then, you just you can't lose your cool to that degree. Yeah. There's no excuse for it. There's no justification for it. There's no condoning it, saying, "Ah, oh, well, Ruiz was a jerk. He deserved it." Blah blah blah. No, nobody deserves that man because has he not caught him in the shoulder, chest area, and he did catch him in the head. I mean, you, especially what we know now about CTE and concussions or whatever, yeah. he could have done very long term permanent damage to Ruiz in there. Well, amazingly, as as wheels off as that season was and as insane as that season was, Dallas actually managed to finish third in the West, shockingly. Um, And despite all that, they get a playoff run, and of course it's against the Houston Dynamo. Thankfully, escaped the Colorado Rapids, but, uh, you know, Dallas was, you know, had lost every game to Houston that year, so that wasn't looking really positive. They managed to go to, to win in Frisco to take a one game lead, but then proceeded to get absolutely wrecked in Houston 4 1. Uh, which leads, of course, to another shootout and another shootout loss. Uh, FC Dallas just cannot win shootouts. And so for the third straight year, Dallas is out after round one. It's not, I think in the end, 2007 was a season we'd rather forget, and that's a playoff series that we'd all rather forget probably. Yeah, well, I mean, certainly it's not, <laughs> it's not a good uh, continuation of a, of a bad trend there. Um, I, you know, that Houston team was pretty good that year. I, they were certainly, they were. I would think, the better side of, you know, they certainly showed it over the regular season. And, and so I think, you know, they deserved it. They were the better side throughout. Um, Do you remember so, who was in first place in the West that year? Uh, Chivas I, I USA. Was it Chivas? Was that yeah. the one year? The one year they were really good, good right before they went away. Yeah. 
Oh man, Chivas USA. You know what? We we, we joked about me being wrong a, a lot. <laughs> I, I was wrong about Chivas USA, man. I I was so on board with that move. I thought there was so much potential when they announced that thing. I thought this was this was going to be a, a good thing for the league. I think it could have been. They just didn't send enough, you know, brand name Mexican heroes to LA to get people to buy in. They tried to use like local kids and, and like fringe guys and, and right. just no one knew who they were. It, it, and it, it was just like Chivas light. It wasn't even real. Yeah. You know? It didn't become what it was supposed to be. Yeah. And I think that was, had it become what it should have been. I think, I guess I'll cover myself by saying that's, that was the problem, right? Yeah. It should have been good. And I, and I bought into it, I, you know, and they just, yeah. Chivas light is, man, it was like Chivas super light. Right. Cause it was, it was bad. Yeah. It, it was just bad. And they were, you know, they were just the redheaded stepchild of the organization. Uh, and you could see that. And, you know, fans aren't stupid, man. They know when they're being sold a bill of goods and you already had LA there. You know, I think that's the other thing that had they put that team in San Diego or hell El Paso, you know, somewhere, that didn't already have a team, I think it might still be there, you know, but putting it That's in LA, idea. sharing the venue, I think yeah. that, that I was never on board with that. And I think that was the problem is you already had an established club in LA. And I think putting them there was probably the biggest thing. Cause you probably could have slid by Chivas light in a market that was starving for soccer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you couldn't put it there in L.A. where they're sharing the stadium and they're getting, well, you only get these dates when L.A. doesn't want them. And, you know. But, God, that should have worked. <laughs> All right, let's move on to 2008. And this is where the wheels start to come off a little bit. Uh, Ruiz is traded back to the Galaxy. Andre Rocha comes in, a player I like a bit. Um, Breck Shea, Josh Lambeau, and Eric Avila are all drafted. Who? But those guys are a season or two away from helping very much. Dario Sala is now the man and goal, but Chris Bonney leaves and Blake Wagner becomes the full-time starter. And Clarence Goodson also departs. Um, what do you think of Clarence Goodson over his era in Dallas? Um, you know, I was never real high on him. Uh, I, I thought he was a guy. I thought he was a, a, a decent MLS player, but I, I thought he was just kind of a guy. Just you a know? dude? Yeah, just a guy. You know, he was tall and lanky, uh, but I, I just, I never really saw it. Well, the the person that they try and replace Goodson with is another one of these moves that you and I, if I remember correctly, were scratching our heads. At least I certainly was. I don't put words in your mouth. Uh, this one I didn't get at all and was completely mystified by, particularly once I saw him in training. And that is Dulio Davino. The traffic yeah, cone, as we call him. Uh, yeah, he was so old and so, so bad. So God. slow, man. Oh, yeah. my gosh. It, they just got him 10 years too late. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was, again, trying to placate to a certain market and fans knowing better. You know, you had that little segment of, you know, 50 to 100 people that would have followed him to the ends of the earth. But, but most of the fans knew better, knew they were getting a, you know, a has been at that point. And, um, you know, I just, that was a bad back line at that time. It was, yeah. That was just a bad defense. Yeah, I mean, you had Blake Wagner, you had Serio, you had Julio Davino. I can't remember who was on the right. It was not, well, Drew, this is probably the last season Drew Moore was in town, pretty much. So he was the one good piece in the back line that year. 
Uh, Bobby yeah, was still around. Bobby Ryan was still oh, playing. Yeah, because Drew was sliding in middle at times at that point too. Yeah, you know. I so. mean, it was kind of a mess to be honest. Yeah, no, it, it was. It was just a bad. Lots of Aaron Pitchcole in that year. Yeah, Pitchcolling's when he was, you know, he was one of those tweener guys that you'd see him out wide, you'd see him in the holding, you'd see him in the back line. He was just kind of a wherever we needed a body kind of. He was a good kid, and yeah. he did his best. But uh, he just was kind of one of those tweeners that was just kind of a, well, you know, he was the second generation of Richard Ferrer, right? How about that name for you? Yeah, well, Richard Ferrer, I think, put in a lot more effort and was a lot smarter than uh, some other people. But when you just talk about a guy who you could plug in wherever you needed to fill a hole. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, every every like every year, Richard Fair played in a different, started in a different yeah. position. Yeah, yeah, that's a guy. Dallas fans that you mentioned earlier, underrated. Yeah. That's a guy that needs to be on your underrated list as well. Yeah, he's yeah. in your top five underrated. Uh, but I'm sorry to get a sidetrack there. But yeah, yeah, that, that was, was on just, the earlier podcast device. That was the that burn was, section. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just not a, uh, just not a very well constructed team. Yeah, you know they took a flyer. They needed somebody up top. With Kenny and they, you know, they messed with Abduro and Cunningham and Abe Thompson and, you know, they had all those young players, but none of them got any minutes, you know. Yeah. And I get it because they were all like 16, 17, 18. But at some point, you know, if you're going to draft them, just play them, you know. Yeah. They're, they're only going to get better by playing. And especially when you have a year like that where it didn't matter anyway. Well, he this was the well year of uh, those guys. This was the year of Kenny Cooper uh, and his big recovery. He's, he's an all-star MLS best 11 comeback player of the year. And he had 18 goals, which is remarkable given the fact that he was until they acquired Jeff Cunningham late in the season, Cooper was basically on his own in the front and still managed 18. Yeah. And, and that's when they were really doing a lot of the four, five, one, let's just be hopeful and kick it up field to Kenny yeah. and just hope he gets it. Knock it over. Hope he gets it. Good luck, Kenny. I mean, can you imagine what you would do now to get an 18 goal scorer? I mean, that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, and that did that, and that shows that that's a testament to Kenny and his work rate and his attitude. Yeah, you know, he's such a good young man. And as far as just, I'm going to go out here and play every day, all the time, anytime, and I'm going to have just such a positive attitude about it. And, and you know, for him, work rate, activity, ethics, all those things paid off for him with 18 goals when it was, you know, somebody had to score him because he wasn't getting any help. Yeah, speaking of not getting any help, um, Juan Toha, this is the year when he's an all-star, but then forces his way out to Romania in what becomes not a not a common problem, but occasionally a problem when the player just vanishes and goes and Dallas has no power to stop it at that point, and they end up letting him transfer. It, it yeah, was but- a bad bad scene when that thing fell apart. Well, it was. I mean, it, it it just came down to money. It was just a money thing. And again, had you invested properly, you know, with not paying Davino at this point, you've got him on the roster. You you're paying the, these other people big money who aren't going to produce for you. You know, that's that's the crime against Juan Toha. Is the, you can't blame the kid when that big money offer came in from Romania, and Dallas didn't have the money. To you know, it's not like it was today where you can kind of you've got uh, fifteen. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, Beckham D- players, DPs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. You can basically DP anybody these days. You you couldn't do that back then, and, and so money was an issue. And and sadly for Toa, 
you know, for FC Dallas fans, Toha took the money. Can't blame him for that. No, no. You blame the management who didn't see what the asset was that they had and were investing money in other assets that weren't going to give you the same return. Well, this is the year, as I said, things start to go south, and that includes the Open Cup after beating Miami FC, which I believe had the great Romario in their lineup, That's if I remember right. correctly. They did. FC Dallas proceeds to lose three to one to the Charleston Battery in Frisco. So that was a that's a bad, uh, inauspicious uh, moment in, in for FC Dallas that season. Yeah, and, you know, God, I really liked Steve Morrow as a person, as a professional. You know, he came in at the tail end of his career. But, uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen him get a better shake. But I think at this point, management already had decided Shellis was their guy. They were already, yeah. you know, negotiating behind Steve, the scenes. Yeah. Steve was a, Steve was a lame duck, you know, unfortunately yeah. for Steve, and I, yeah. I don't think that was fair to him because he was a good player for this team. You know, he fell off his last year as a player here, but I mean, he was a good soldier. He was a good professional. He had so much experience. He had that great story about breaking his arm when he got dropped in the FA Cup, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Scored the winner uh, and got dropped. Yeah, <laughs> dropped and broke his arm, uh, but. Uh, he was, you know, he was he was respectful to the players. He, he ran a professional outfit, um, and it was unfortunate. But those types of losses gave the bosses all the ammunition they needed to say, you know, you're out of here. Yeah, they they let Morrow go, and Marco Ferruzzi co- coaches for five games, basically while they're concluding their negotiations with Shellis Hyman, uh, and Shellis mm-hmm. comes in. Uh, to, to sort of take over, and it doesn't do a whole lot of activity other than signing his boy Bruno Guarda. Um, but they do, they do bring in Jeff Cunningham for the last eleven games of the year, and they run about a record of four, five, and eight over the back end of the season under Hyman, which is not great, but is about five hundred with you know one less win and a bunch of ties. And Cunningham scores five goals in eleven games. That doesn't stink. So there's some positive signs there. Um, but really, 2008 was even worse than 2007. 2008 is just a completely forgettable year as they missed the playoffs. And as you, we talked before about Cooper, Cooper's amazing season and all his effort and heart and work goes to waste. Yeah, I mean, that's basically all you got to look back if you're doing a retrospective on that year as you say, yeah, Kenny Cooper. Kenny Cooper. Run. Yeah, yeah. that's about it. Comeback player of the year. Yeah. yeah, you can say, you know, if you want to look at Dex McCarty, you know, he was young at that time, but you're starting to see the player he's going to become yeah, good and he's going to grow into. You know, you're you're seeing those early looks of, okay, now he's starting to get some real minutes at this point. You see why he became that steadying force in MLS for another 10 years at least, I think it was. Yeah, he's still playing. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's still going now. So what, what was it, 12 years now? Yeah, down with Nashville now as the yeah. one of the faces of their team. Yeah. Yeah. Good kid. I, you know, we still interact with him occasionally on Twitter. He's good people. That young man. I yeah, remember no, when, he he got, was... when he got drafted, he was only 18. If you remember, because he'd gone to Carolina when he was like 16. So he was so young, even though he'd played two seasons in Carolina, he was a baby. Right. And, 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 and that was one of the reasons he hadn't got a lot of minutes, but, but you could see, we saw just in training and just yep. the potential that he was going to have to be that, that really good central player for somebody. It turns out to be a lot of other people, but, uh, you know. Yeah, not Dallas eventually. We'll get to that in a minute. All right. 2009, Coach Hyman is in full rebuild mode. Uh, There's some decent moves made 
uh, at the end of the previous season, Jeff Cunningham, we mentioned. But then over the winter, you get Dave Vandenberg in, who plays some left side in midfield. Kyle Davies comes in, which at the time seems like a good move. George John is drafted. That's a big, big move. Uh, but the biggest move of that winter, and I'm sure you'll remember this guy, Tobias, is one David Ferreira joins the team on loan. Yeah, that was that was when you know you started to see this connections, the South American connections start to actually pay off, right? Right, the we've been, deal. Yeah, right. And we've been fed, oh, okay, we're going to have this partnership with Tigres, and and that's going to pay off, and that that never really came to much. And then now, no. now we've got this cap deal, and, and you know by that point you're becoming skeptical because you know you'd had a couple different partnerships that hadn't really produced anything other than a friendly here or there, you know. Uh, but then you see this and say, okay, wow, this is legit. You know, there's this has this is a meaningful relationship now, and so that was yeah, absolutely the high point of of that for what it meant. Uh, to bring in a guy that was, you know, the type of quality that you hadn't really had, you know, I'd say since uh, Poppy, maybe. Yeah, I mean, Andre Rocha laid the groundwork with the cap relationship, and David Ferreira came in to sort of pay it off on loan. And Chelsea, if you remember, even talked about with us how they had uh, – he had seen David years before, and so they were all. Everyone was on board with bringing him in on that time. The biggest beneficiary, probably, of David's arrival is Jeff Cunningham, who has one of the best seasons, best individual single seasons in in franchise history. When he has 17 goals and eight assists, wins the MLS Golden Boot, wins the MLS Player of the Month, which has only happened like nine times in franchise history, and he makes MLS Best Eleven. So, uh, Cunningham is an explosive scorer, an explosive season, and you know, this and Cooper's Golden Boot season are the two, probably, and, and Crisis 99 MVP year. But the, he was more of a withdrawn striker. These are, these are the two best single nine seasons in franchise history, the C- Cooper and then in Cunningham. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. Everybody thought Cunningham was done by this point, right? Right. He had, you know, he'd had such great success with Columbus that he was supposed to be on his last legs. And, you know, is he going to be able to contribute to anything? You know, after coming in late the year before, and all of a sudden he was he was fantastic. You know, one of the other key pieces that year was Dave Vandenberg on the left wing. This is, Dave is probably the last pure, wide, traditional sort of deep crosser uh, with the with the, the team ever had. Because after this, it's all modern high wingers pretty much. But but Vandenberg had eleven assists, and that Vandenberg Cunningham relationship in particular was uh, one of the best. Two, you know, wing to crosser to center channel strikers we've seen. Yeah, he was he was a fun guy to watch, man. He was in 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 the sense of he was fun like Ronnie O'Brien. We talked about Ronnie O'Brien a lot. He was fun in that same way of just a guy who could get wide, run the lines, make things happen, and uh, really had that professionalism. And uh, he he was yeah, it was really a unique player. We we haven't seen a lot of his style player in, in uh, if you look at Dallas Burn FC Dallas history, there's not a lot of guys, you're right, that, that play that style that he did. Yeah, he was only one of a handful that really played the traditional flat four wide midfield role. It's unusual. But we also talked a little bit about Dak McCarty. Excuse me, I can say his name quickly. Dax McCarty. This is his 
probably his peak year, although the next year he was good too, but this is his peak year when he has three goals and six assists. He really became, and you're talking about a kid who really is still only about 19 at this point, maybe 20, uh, one of the first like really young guys to become um, sort of a breakout, not a homegrown, he was a GA player, but started to become a star um, out, out of this really young American system. Yeah, that's that's a good point, and and this is like I said, we saw him get some minutes the year before, but this is where his career really okay. Now I'm a starter in this league for the next right. I guess twelve years. This is the year where you get to say, "Wow, that was that was that was kind of cool to watch somebody, you know, their career really take off in the way it did for him." And and uh, you mentioned he's a good kid, you know, hard worker, great personality. Um, and yes, it was trifle undersized. It was, yeah, yeah. He wasn't much bigger than me and I'm short as a hobbit. So <laughs> that's not good. But, uh, but you know, this game's democratic in that way, right? You don't right. have to be a monster, especially to play in the midfield. If you've got the intelligence and the technique, uh, and he certainly is, has shown that you can be undersized and still be effective. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, he was, you know, a, a good solid wave of that next wave of, you know, you had the, you know, the New Jersey wave of guys who have come and gone by this point in MLS history, but now you're getting that next wave of guys who are the post NASL babies, but they're just the modern era babies who have now become professionals. So they're that next generation of the American player, uh, and so it, it is a, a unique marker in that sense as well well unfortunately this is another season where the mid-season departure happens uh, as as is a common problem in dallas over the years and kenny cooper is sold uh to 1860 munich uh the team brings in a tiba harris as a replacement uh trading for marcel saragossa not sure that's a straight swap but uh in hindsight uh tilo what do you think of cooper's move i'm not sure 1860 was the right place for him yeah, I mean, well, I mean, and obviously in hindsight it wasn't, uh, but you know, it, it's hard to look at it in that sense of, you know, at the time it was it was good money for him, good money for the club. Um, obviously, he's one of those guys that you would would have hoped could have been your your Dirk Nowitzki player who stays his career at your club. Uh, I think if you were going to make a guy that lifer. He was probably the guy you'd want to try to. Yeah. Again, the economics were different at the time, so it's hard to blame him in the different, you know, it's a, if it's a different economic time. I'm sure the money was the league. hard to turn down. Yeah, no, you, could, you, could, you had to do it. Uh, but you hated to see it because, again, he's that guy that you want to just be able to say he played his entire career uh, in Dallas, right? Yeah, that, this is a what a what it would have been because the FC Dallas offense that season scores a absolutely phenomenal fifty goals. That's ridiculous. Cunningham has seventeen. David Ferreira has eight goals and seven assists. And um, Kenny Cooper has seven goals in the fifteen games before he's gone. So you can imagine uh, why why is this team not good? Well, the the question the answer to that question is the defense is not so great. They allow 47 goals. Uh, again, you're looking at a Dario splitting time and goal with other people, and um, 
but Hyman starts to rebuild the defense mid-season because we see Daniel Torres come in, we see Jared Benitez come in, we see Heath Pierce come in, and he trades for his guy Ugo Amalu, which cost them Drew Moore, unfortunately. Um, but the biggest move is the mid-season arrival of a vastly, vastly out-of-shape Daniel Hernandez. Yeah, you know, once you start blowing, it doesn't matter the sport. Once you start blowing stuff up in mid-season, that's a problem, man. And very rarely does that ever pan out, right? Good right. teams aren't blowing stuff up in the middle of their season, right? And no matter the sport, it very rarely, when you do a complete retool in the middle of the season, it just it doesn't work. You know, you can tweak something. You could be playing 15 games and say, you know what, we're, we're close, we just need a little bit something here, you know. Maybe we just need a, a better outside back, or, or we just need a second forward. You know, small tweaks midseason. Okay, you can do that and be successful. But this was a full blown. You know, this was as big a roster as far as guys getting playing times and minutes that I remember. And you know, my memory's not great, but it just seemed like there was <laughs> always a new body out there, a new face out there, and you you just can't be consistent. You can't be successful, especially in the back line. Well, yeah. you remember, it's hard to remember, but they started the season with a back line of Blake Wagner on the left, Steve Purdy, you remember that name, <laughs> compared with Drew no, Moore in the middle, I and, do Mar- now. and Marcelo Saragossa was your right back. So you can understand why halfway through the season, all of a sudden it's Benitez, Amalu, George John becomes a starter, and Heath Pierce is playing right back of all people with Daniel Hernandez in front of him. It's like, it's a completely different team. Yeah, and, and it didn't work, did it? Well, it didn't work that season. <laughs> yeah, well. I think it got better the next year, but that season, oh, it did not work so well. Um, they also crashed out of the, the U.S. Open Cup um, in a bad 0-2 loss at D.C. United in like just one game, basically. But to be honest, I'm sure Hyman had other things on his mind. When you're, when you're rebuilding the team, I'm sure the U.S. Open Cup is not something that matters. And I don't think even at this point, when Shellis is completely reworking the team midseason, that he was even all that concerned about the playoffs. There is one game that jumps out at me looking at the results, and that's a 6 to nothing win over Kansas City when the amazing Jeff Cunningham has four goals in a game, which still, of course, is the franchise record. Um, I remember that game just being an absolute dismantling of a team that I'd love to see get dismantled to Kansas City. Wizards, I think, still at that time. Yeah, I mean, that was certainly, if you're looking for something to be happy about, um, they had a couple of big scoring games that year, if I recall They did. They scored a lot of goals and gave up a lot of goals. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that was was the problem. But, yeah, they had several 3-0, goal. It was just... It was insane that way, and, and yeah, Cunningham's numbers are a little skewed when you throw in a four-goal game <laughs> to your totals for the year. Uh, but yeah, oof. but in fairness, look, this is Shellis's first real season at the head. Right, it's his first chance to really see. Okay, what do I have here? Okay, so you talk about mid-season shakeups don't work, but but that may not have been necessarily. You know, well, I wasn't looking to retool everything in one year, but right. I knew what I had, and I knew it wasn't good enough. So we may as well start the building now, start getting that unity to look ahead to the following year. I mean, they finished the season on a five-two and one run. So basically, Hyman at that point has set himself up for 2010, essentially, even though he hasn't have enough to recover 2009. Right, and and, and to be fair for him, it, it it did pay off for him for the next year. So so you can't really be too hard on 
what happened in 09 as far as blowing everything up if you say okay this this was why we did it we were looking at it as okay look we've got to sacrifice and teams have to do that you've got to rebuild every every franchise and every sport has to have those rebuilding gears yeah so i think when you then go on and and i know we're not going to get into next year but but when you do go on the next year to have the success that they did then you say, okay, yes, that was clearly a rebuilding year that started 15 games into the season. Yeah. So since you're not going to be around to talk about much the rest of Hyman's tenure, why don't, why don't you give me a sort of final wrap-up on on your thoughts on him as a coach and what he did in Dallas over the next several years? You know, my relationship with Shells was good. It wasn't, you know, it was just, it was very professional. He was a professional guy. Um you know, I think if you look at who all the coaches I had, I had the strongest relationship with Mike Jeffries, actually, and then Steve Morrow. Um, Shellis's wasn't good, wasn't bad. It certainly wasn't as, as rocky as mine and Colin Clark's relationship. Uh, but he's, you know, the knock on him was he couldn't win the couldn't win the big one. You know, fair or unfair, he had a lot of time at SMU uh, and yeah. didn't win it when he probably should have based on the talent pool and having the, the recruits he had. So I think that's a fair criticism that followed him. And, uh, you know, unfortunately at FC Dallas for his career, you have to say he, he didn't win the big one there either. Right. Right. Uh, so I think that's unfortunately going to be the label that people are always going to put on him. Good coach who couldn't win the big one. Right. And that's, you know, that, Nobody wants to have that. If you're the coach, no one wants that label on their head, right? Right. All right, well, let's put a cap on the 2005 to 2009 era, the beginning of the FC Dallas portion of the franchise history. A lot of missed playoff chances over the first three years. Those damn Colorado Rapids. We see <laughs> Clark's rebuild, Morrow's rebuild, Shellis's rebuild. It seems like a lot of... Guys maybe not getting the full run they should have. A lot of guys maybe falling out in the playoffs when they shouldn't have. It sort of was a uh, five-year, was that five years? Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yep, five-year era of missed opportunities and missed chances and and maybe rebuilding more than they should have been rebuilding. Yeah, I mean, you just you didn't have that consistency across a span of three years that you, that you need in order to be successful, right? At least three, and yeah. really missed opportunities. I mean, you just got to say 06 is the year you have to look at in that stretch. Yeah. If you want to say missed opportunities, that was such a good talent. It really team, was man. a good team. That was, you know, that's what, it, if you're going to list your top, what would we at, 25 years now? 25. So 25th season has been canceled. So, me. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. So, yeah, you've got to say that's one of your top, you know, top yeah, three. five talent-wise, maybe yeah. top three. Talent-wise, well, that's why it's a shame that team got dismantled in '07 instead of continuing. Yeah, yeah, boy, that's rough. Looking back at it, like that. I know, yeah, man. right? God, I forgot how good that. Took I mean, at the time, I was like, was. "What are you guys doing? This team is amazing!" And yeah. they're like, "No, nah, we're getting rid of the coach." I was like, "Oh my god, what is going on?" Uh, yeah, yeah, boy, that, that's pretty rough when you look back at it. Yeah, respect like that. I mean, it's not like Colin did anything like take a USL team to the Concacaf Champions League quarterfinals or something, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not like he's a bad coach. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. well. Yeah. Oh well, <laughs> there's a lot of oh wells in the history of FC Dallas. I feel like oh, <laughs> kind well. of is, yeah, kind of is. God love them. <laughs> God love them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Tilo, I think, um, it, I don't know if you feel like I do. There, there are many days when I scratch my head and I'm quite frustrated. And then sometimes when I sit back and look at the big picture, I think I remember growing up with nothing. And I remember that we now have a league and we've had a league for 25 years and, and the hunts are part of that team surviving and being here. And so lots of times I'm, I'm so thankful that we have a team to cover you and I or did, and we have a chance to have division one soccer in our backyard and, um, so some days I'm so blessed and thankful that this team is here and exists. And some days I just want to tear my hair out with how bad they are. And it's a real roller coaster of uh, emotion being, being a follower of FC Dallas, whether you're intimately super focused, super fan, or whether you're sit back and on your sofa every once in a blue moon and watch a game, it's frustrating all up and down the spectrum. Well, yeah, I mean, I, we have two different perspectives on it, but certainly I don't have the emotional attachment to it that, that you do and then a lot of fans do but but I would say to them look you know you need to be thankful that there is a team in this city because there was very there were a lot of times where it almost didn't happen including 96 when they first launched the, I know. the league uh and, and the the commitment of the hunts you know I would do things differently if I was managing that team you know managing that program but you can't you can't again, be critical of their commitment. You know, that's just not a fair criticism. That's not an intelligent criticism. Um, and I think in life you should try to be both fair and intelligent. I think those are two pretty good qualities to have. And if you're going to just make the criticism of, oh, they don't spend money or whatever, well, that that's not fair. That's not an intelligent criticism. You owe them a lot of thanks that there's professional soccer in this Metroplex and yes, Frisco's a haul from Fort Worth, and I should make that haul up there a little more often. I haven't made it you should. since I quit covering the team. Uh, and, and that's on me as a soccer person in this market. You should be out getting to at least a couple games a year just to support the game. Well, you've say, been busy you know running what? another team, so I forgive you for that. <laughs> yeah, well, let's do a podcast on that. That'll we will, we will, yeah, for sure. Uh, and let's do a podcast on what's next for Tilo, too. So, yeah. Uh, but but you have to give them the credit they deserve as a family, as an organization, for keeping professional soccer alive in this market twice. Twice, you know, let's not forget the NASL days. Yeah. You know, and, and days when, you know, there was that gap between when the sidekicks were around and before MLS really hit that, you know, there there was nothing, you know. And, and when I was at a player, you know, I was an MLS level but there was an opportunities for me just to be a minor league level player, which I had the ability to be. Uh, you know, I, there wasn't you know a whole lot of minor league out there now. And now you look, and there's a minor league team every 15 minutes. So, and that's all you know. Yeah. Because of people like the Hunts keeping well, this game alive here. As much as people complain about MLS, sometimes I want to say you know this. A lot of places in the world, the the pyramid and the pro teams are propped up by this gigantic humongous culture of soccer that runs all the way from the bottom to the top. Well, in this country, the culture of soccer is propped up and held up by major league soccer. If major league soccer didn't exist, would we have four layers of pro and semi-pro teams underneath them sort of dangling off the umbrella that they're sort of creating? I, I don't think that we would. I think we would be stuck in an era of the ASL in like the early nineties, which was basically like a semi-pro league at best. No, you, you certainly you wouldn't. And, and, you know, again, people are like, Oh, MLS, sucks. Oh, it sucks. It's terrible. You know what? It ain't a bad league. 
It's just not. And and you just have that inherent bias in yourself that you need to get rid of because, again, that's neither intelligent nor fair. Because, look, you can talk about the Premier League. Uh, the bottom end of the Premier League ain't good soccer, okay? It's just not. It's not any better than MLS. The bottom four or five teams and then the Champions Division, it's not any better. But you've been conditioned to think it is because they've been around for 100 years. But MLS isn't a bad league. It's not a bad league, and you ain't good enough to play in that league either. Okay, let's get that out, out <laughs> no, of the way right what? now. Uh, so many people that come up to, oh, I could play that. No, you couldn't. I've seen you play in club on weekends. I've seen you play at the yeah. facility. You ain't good enough. I oh, have my favorite tell me is that to be, all the line. My favorite is when you're in the stands and some guy's like, man, I'm better than that guy. No, you're not, yeah, dude. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> and no, you didn't blow your knee out, and that's the only reason why. No, no. that ain't that ain't why you're not out there. You ain't out there because you ain't good enough because it's a good league. And it deserves credit for being here, and it deserves credit, and it deserves support, you know, because if you're going to say you're a soccer person, then you have to support that league, or else you're just a phony, right? Right. You're just a selfish phony, and you're a guy who doesn't really get the game. Support local soccer. Yeah. yeah. All right, if one last question for you. Us. Last question for you. Who is your favorite player to cover during your tenure of FC Dallas? Favorite player? There's a lot of good ones at the top. Oh, well, you give me a couple uh, then, like interaction. It would uh, come helpful. Well, bad, favorite, good, exciting. Favorite would come is is clearly Poppy. Yeah, I mean, you just you can't say enough about that guy. Um, you know, just professional. You know, the Jordan Stone story. Have you told that on your podcast? No, go please do. Okay, so and you were part of this time. Yeah, Pop Jordan Stone was a young player out of the developmental academy, and he was going to be the next big thing as a holding midfielder and poppy had taken him under his wing which he did with a lot of the young players was teaching him how to be a professional and jordan just didn't have he's a great kid but he just didn't have that next level of killer instinct it was a killer attitude yeah to play especially play in the midfield where they wanted him to play and there's a we're, we're going out to training one day and I, I believe you were there as part of this if not you heard the story and poppy tells jordan okay when we get out there today, you're going to kick me as hard as you possibly can. I want you to come in, and I want you to foul me all practice long, and I want you to get mean and nasty. It's okay. Come in hard. Beat the crap out of me today in practice. Uh, and Jordan just laughed and blew it off and didn't go strong on Poppy and, and just let it go. And, and it And it was... How many players are out there going to say, yes, come and abuse me during training today so you get better and so you learn how you have to play to be at this level? And, and, you know, it just showed the character and the quality of of Poppy and how he cared about young players. And you saw that reflected when he became a coach, right? Yes. He was the guy who brought up young players and gave them playing time, right? And, And we saw with Jordan, you know, again, a good kid who just... He went and became a fireman or something like that. I think. I don't. I don't went remember. Went back to school. Yeah. He, you know, he left and went back to school, and it was. It wasn't for him, and that's not a slight against Jordan because he was a great player and a great kid. He was. But it just it wasn't. You know, for a lot of reasons, people don't make it at the next level, and for him, it was just. Yeah. You know, his makeup. Jordan had all the but, tools to be a great six. He had all the physical skills. He had all the ball skills. He had all the uh, mental understanding of the game, but he did not, as you say, have that 
a tough streak. Uh, you remember Poppy called Simo a criminal on the field. We've talked about that before. That's mm-hmm. what Jordan was missing, and Poppy was trying so hard to bring it out of him. And you're right that that's just the kind of mentor he was trying to make younger players become better than they were, even as a player this is now, not as a coach. Yeah. So in all the years I covered FC Dallas, I, I don't even remember how when it was now, but but in all the years, it was a lot of them. Um, Poppy was would without question be number one. And then after you get into Bobby Ryan, obviously. Of course. Yeah. He, he won me a fair share of my lunches. Uh, if I remember <laughs> yes. correctly, Bobby yes, Ryan. <laughs> I was buying your Chick-fil-A because of Bobby Ryan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Poppy and, and what he means to the club, but uh, you know, his name should be put on a slab somewhere out there at some point. If it's yeah. not already. I don't know it, if it is or not. I don't yeah. think it is. Uh, it's, he's on my Mount Rushmore. That, that's a thing MLS is doing. Let's do that for real fun to finish off this podcast. MLS is doing this series of four names, Mount Rushmore of a franchise. Mm-hmm. And you can go first, if, or I'll go first if you want me to, with your four. I bet it's Mount. probably the same, but yeah. yeah it's, go ahead. It's, Who do you got? It's, it's, it's uh, Lamar first. It's Poppy. No, players, it's, players, not Lamar. Oh, only players. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then if you're just talking players, you're talking Poppy, Jason, Bobby. Uh, who's my fourth then? I don't know. Who's your fourth? Well, my two that you don't, I have you don't are David Ferreira and Matt Hedges. Those are my two. And I left Bobby Ryan off because Bobby Ryan for me is a cult hero of the team. Uh, a lot of that is based off of his community interaction and his television work and his love of the game and his love for the fans and all that kind of stuff. And then, so for me, a little less as a player, I don't have him on my Mount Rushmore, despite the fact that he's one of the most important people in this franchise's history. That's different than my Mount Rushmore of playing, which is Pareja, Christ, Ferreira and Hedges. Those are my four. Yeah. So you're just saying only skill. Right. Well, not I think just if you're going to do a Mount Rushmore, you got to do a little more than that. But you know, no, I think it's contribution the on the field think, is what I think it is yeah. for me, you know, of players. Well, he played a lot of games for this team. He did, he did. But do you put, for me, he's not a better, but, more significant player than those other four. Yeah, I mean, I guess I just weigh into the, the complete picture. Yeah, um, if you if you include all but, the off the field things, then obviously he's in there in front of David Ferreira. But um, yeah, I, you know, for me, when you talk about players, I, I I had to go with the guy that was one of two league MVPs and took the team to its only, probably carried them almost single-handedly to their only cup in history because he didn't have a, a lot of help on that team in 2010. Yeah. So I guess he's my fourth then. Yeah. So then we just disagree on, you got Hedges instead of Ryan. I do, with Hedges so now we switch, we switch being all-time uh, up there in the top ranks of games and starts and a defender of the year and all that stuff. Yeah, so. no, he's a hell of a player. Yeah, yeah. All right, my friend, thank you for coming on and uh, talking about uh, 2005 to 2009 of the FC Dallas history. We appreciate all your time on this podcast today, but also all your time of service reporting on uh, the Dallas burn and FC Dallas when not a lot of people were doing that. I appreciate it, man. Anytime you know that. All right, thanks for listening in. If you tuned in and stayed this long, if you like this podcast or any of the other work we do on 3degree.net or on Twitter or on Facebook, you can support us at uh, patreon.com slash third degree. Uh, and these times are tough for everybody I know, and that includes all of us who are struggling with work as well. And if you can help us in any way, that would be awesome. Be, t- be sure to tune in next week, probably next week, when we continue our look back at SC Dallas history. And we'll start with the 2010 Runs MLS Cup with a guest that's yet to be determined. It'll be another mystery guest. So, again, thank you, Tobias. Thank you, all your listeners. And we'll see you next week again on Third Degree, the podcast. Thank you.